Welcome to the SVOPA podcast. Here are your hosts, Michael and Joe. Hi everyone, it's Joe, and welcome to episode 31 of the SVOPA podcast. If you want to get in touch with us, as always, it's podcast at svopa.co.uk. And Michael's with me as always. Hi, Michael. Hi, Joe. Hi, everyone else. Yeah, 31 episodes. It's um, I'm waiting to get to 50. That'll be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> That's only what 18 months off. The rate they've been going. You, yeah, maybe. Yeah, we'll make it soon. Yeah, it's actually been a, a really sad month in the life of, of St. Vincent's. Over the last month, unfortunately, three three people have passed away. I'm going to start with Sister Kathleen, who most people would know as Sister Claire, who was the headmistress at the school up to 1977. I, I've spoken to her once or twice, and she came to the reunion a few years ago, and she always talked so fondly of the school and the past pupils and and had such memories of, of us and, and the place, and it's such a sad time. She passed away on the 12th of September. The funeral is being held at 12 noon at St Mary's Church on Seabank Road in Southport on Thursday the 25th of September. Everybody is welcome to attend, and obviously if you can make it, please feel free to come along. Do let me know either on the telephone 0161-287-1841 or mobile 07930-444656 or email us podcast at svopa.co.uk so that we can coordinate with the sisters for catering and for numbers. But everybody is welcome, so you know, do feel free to come along. Okay, so we have a second death to announce, and that is that Sister Rosalie, who was deputy head for a time at school, sadly passed away on the 26th of August. And also a a young man who was a past pupil at St Vincent's, Peter Gavin. He passed away on the 16th of August. Our thoughts and prayers go out to the family, friends, and anybody who knew Sister Kathleen, Sister Rosalie and Peter Gavin at this sad and difficult time. Well, I'd like to introduce a couple of good friends of the SVOPA and good friends of mine too, both Pat and Mike Scanlon. So, hi guys. Hi there, Mike. Hi, Joe. Uh, it's good to have you both on. So, we thought it'd be interesting because you both being brothers, uh, both coming to St. Vincent's from, from Jersey, and obviously you've had different lives and different careers and everything since. So, it'd be interesting to sort of just hear your story. So, should we start from from before... You came to St. Vincent's and, and your life on that lovely island. As you said, we were both born in Jersey and uh, we went to St. Vincent's. I was 10 and Pat was 9. Uh, so obviously we spent a bit of time in school on the island first uh, where we were 
we were sort of brought up being with sort of fairly strongly Catholic parents. So we went to sort of uh, a convent school first as infants, and we went on to, uh, well, I certainly did. Pat will tell this story. I can't remember that far back. Uh, I went to a, a Dollar Cell College in Jersey. And then when I was nine, uh, we both, in 1964, uh, it was identified we had trouble with our eyes. And we went over to Moorfields Eye Hospital where we spent, I think it might have been up to a week there. And the result of that was it was suggested that we would go to uh, a specialist school for the blind. Uh, obviously, they didn't have any specialist schools in Jersey at that time and sort of mainstream support uh, really wasn't sort of uh, part of the system in those days. Uh, we started at Bolia, which was a Catholic school up to about the age of seven. And then after that, uh, moved up to De La Salle. Mike went before me and he was coping quite well. I went... Um, I was coping in Bolia, but once I went to De La Salle, uh, my sight wasn't good enough. I couldn't um, see the blackboard or read the thing. And basically, for the years I was there, I was just basically given a book and told to look at the pictures. So it was only when we went to Moorfields in 64, um, the doctor there was very uh, adamant that we needed special, or I needed special education. I think Mike could have coped in mainstream at that time, but... Um, I know Dad was adamant that we were separate, you know, if one went, the two of us went, and that's when we were sent to St. Vincent's. Uh, I, I know originally Jersey were not willing to pay, um, but the doctor at Moorfield spoke to London Council, and they were going to send us and then Jersey back down and said they'd pay. I think the main reason was there were schools for the blind nearer to Jersey than Liverpool, but of course, again, like Mike said, we were a strong Catholic family, uh, or our parents were, or my dad was especially. Yeah. <laughs> and um, of course, St. Vincent's was the only Catholic school for the blind in the country. Just going on to that as well before you came, um, you had a little bit of a Christmas carol situation <laughs> before you came. You were visited by a number of ghosts. Yeah, just Did before you I came to school. We were visited. Uh, three of the teachers were holidaying over Jersey. It was Dot Wilson right. and George Spears who came to our house to just to see us and vet us, I presume. And then Mrs. Pope, um, she didn't come to our house. She was staying at um, St. Brellard's Hotel in Jersey, and we were invited out there for afternoon tea. So obviously you passed that. Then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now whether that's a good or bad thing, I mean, yeah. <laughs> everyone will let people make up their own minds on that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we started in uh, the September of 1965. Obviously, I, I think I, I mean, my memory is quite sketchy because I've got sort of very mixed feelings about the whole thing. Uh, I, I'm not sure if I did actually have a year, uh, top one year in the juniors and went, went straight into the seniors. Uh, I don't know if Pat can sort of... Uh, <laughs> me on that, but I, I, I just can't remember that sort of detail. Um, I think you went into the seniors. I'm not sure. Was, yeah. um, we, ca we ca I know. I remember we came over on Friday, um, so that we had the weekend to settle in before starting That's the right. schooling on the Monday. I think it was the 17th of September we actually came over, and I remember because Dad came with us, and I remember being shown around the school. I'm pretty sure and um, the farm and that. And I'm pretty yes, sure it was Mark Hegarty and Kevin Hoyle who took us around. Yeah, certainly Kevin did, yes. Yeah, and um, as I say, Mike went into... I, originally, I went into Mrs. Burns' class, which was 
partially sighted. Um, but I was only there for um, about two or three weeks and I realised I couldn't cope, so I got moved across to Mrs Pope and I spent three years with Mrs Pope. But um, I remember when Dad left to, because Mike was 10, he was allowed a watch. Right, under 10, you weren't allowed a watch. And I, I remember I always felt a bit funny because my dad gave me one of those little view televisions of Jersey with pictures on and I don't think he'd come to terms with the fact that you know, I felt a bit bad because although I could see colours and lights in it, I couldn't really see the pictures. <laughs> we started school because initially, uh, I think for the, at least the first couple of years, uh, we could only go home three times a year, basically Christmas, Easter and summer, because there wasn't uh, funding wasn't agreed to pay for us to go home at half terms. But after about two or three years, we were uh, allowed, we were funded to go home at half terms as well. Yeah. I think I'll that remember. was when it, Mike. I think that was when it changed to a week half term. But basically, the half terms were only like a long weekend. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I remember also. Uh, I mean, as I say, a very mixed feeling in school. Academically, I feel I would have achieved a lot more if I'd stayed in mainstream. But from the social point of view, meeting people and everything, and sort of the after school activities, the sport and everything, I enjoyed that. And now, whether that's sort of maybe selfish thing because I. I probably had some of the best eyesight in the school and for people who don't know, when I left school I actually uh, learned to drive and I drove for 13 years. Uh, so I did have some very useful vision yeah. uh, which obviously has impacted on my sort of uh, views of, uh, of my time as a Vincent's but as I'm still involved with the SVOPA and go to meetups and everything, it couldn't have been all bad I'm sure. Uh, yeah. Over to you Pat. Sorry, from my point of view, um, Probably going to St. Vincent saved me. Um, although, I, I mean, so Dad was so protective of me at home, I wasn't really allowed out on my own. I was supposed to wait. Mind you, I never did, and I used to always get into big fights with my dad on that. <laughs> but um, uh, I think, really, it did allow me the freedom to develop uh, as myself. I mean, so obviously, everybody has good and bad feelings and bad things at times at school, but I do think... Uh, probably it was the best thing for me personally. So the only other thing I would add really is about, um, you know, the farm at the time and being able to work on the farm gave us a great interest as well because I, I helped with the um, milking and the um, hay baling and all that kind of thing. And of course, the other thing I remember strongly from the pool on the animal side is we got two ponies, um, Crispin and Seamus. Now, Crispin, I remember, was bought on Green Shield stamps. The school saved a number of Green Shield stamps. I think they had to get millions and millions. And they actually got a, a grey pony called Crispin. And also, um, Bill Shannon kind of looked after the ponies and who looked after them and that. And we had to clean the cattle and things like that and groom the ponies and that. Seamus, I think, came from a riding school. It had broken its ankle and he couldn't... Um, take people on its back too much anymore so it was no good to the riding school so that came to the school as well yeah i mean things like the farm and areas like that are areas we're going to cover hopefully on around the school in the future as well because so many of us haven't any experience of that at all so that's mm -hmm. um but a lot of people like you, you guys and others around your era have talked a lot about the farm and mm -hmm. and the benefits obviously that had so since you left school um, a year or two ago, how what what have you guys been doing? Right, shall I go first? Yep. Okay. Well, well, I well, I, I left school at sixteen, 
and I went back to Jersey and I went straight into work. Uh, so I started working in the menswear department of uh, a department store in Jersey and I was there for about a year or so. Then I moved on to another uh, sort of men, menswear, just an independent menswear shop. Um, so I worked in Jersey for about two years. Uh, but what I was sort of picking up, I, was, I felt I was quite ambitious at the time. And whenever uh, sort of stores and everything were employing someone at sort of maybe higher levels like a departmental manager or a buyer or something like that, they were bringing people over from England generally. So I thought... If I wanted to get on in that trade, then I'd better get myself back to England to sort of further my uh, prospects. So I in so I started working in Jersey in July of 71. Then in the October of 73, that's when I took the plunge, sort of uh, left work and sort of came back to England, basically with a suitcase of clothes, a couple of hundred pounds I'd saved. And I chose Nottingham as the starting point because uh, Mary, our elder sister, was actually a student at the university in Nottingham. And so uh, I was able to sort of kip on her uh, floor in the halls of residence. And within a few days of coming over, I'd got myself sorted out with uh, a job and some digs. So I actually started working for, uh, some of the listeners may well be familiar with this company, although I'm not sure they're still uh, operating now. I started working for a company called Foster Menswear, uh, who had a shop in the sort of the big shopping center, Victoria's uh, Center in Nottingham. And uh, as I say, I was quite ambitious, so I got involved with their sort of training program, management training program and everything. And as I, I was willing to travel in, so I did quite a few relief managements uh, and stuff like that. And then eventually in, let me think, 1975, uh, I can't remember the exact, but 1975, I was offered my own branch uh, as manager which was the shop in Lee in Greater Manchester, as some people might know. So I, I then moved up to Lee, uh, and I worked for uh, Foster's there for four years. Then I started moving around a bit, uh, going into sort of city centre. So I, I then managed a couple of stores in Lord Street in Liverpool, people might know. Uh, so I managed uh, a millet's shop, which were there and also a, a company called Wakefield Stores, which again was also sort of clothing and camera gear and that sort. And for those who know Liverpool, that was actually uh, the shop on the site in Law Street where Burger King is now. So uh, <laughs> for those with their knowledge of Liverpool, that's uh, a little bit of info. Uh, what had then happened though, in the early 80s, my vision started to deteriorate too, uh, quite rapidly actually. And... Uh, being in the clothing sort of trade, when you have trouble with colours and sort of not being able to see things, our price tickets falling off our doors, our started sort of standards, if you like, started slipping. So I knew then it was uh, time for a, a change. So I went through uh, a period of rehabilitation uh, for a year or so. So I went to Christopher Range, which most people will be familiar with, for about six weeks. Then I went off down to... Uh, RNIB had an employment rehabilitation centre in Torquay called Manor House, which a lot of people will probably be familiar with listening to this. Uh, and I was down there for three months in the summer of 1985. Uh, a really enjoyable experience I found that, even though I was going through a uh, quite traumatic time in my own life uh, with failing eyesight, etc. Anyway, following that period of rehabilitation, I sort of 
then went off, basically. I, I did some work locally with the Manpower Services Commission scheme as a deaf-blind home visitor with the Liverpool Voluntary for Society of the Blind. And I then went off to Leeds to the North Regional uh, Association for the Blind to do what was then the Technical Officer Training Course, which is sort of now Rehabilitation Officer. So I did, did that course, which lasted for about a year. Came back to Liverpool, actually with the intent of working with the services. And as I sort of was applying for jobs, I was offered some part-time work at the local College of Further Education, teaching Braille and touch typing, their division impairment support service there. So I was 12, 12 hours a week, so I took that on and never ended up working in social services because I eventually got a full-time job at the college. Then in 1997, I was actually appointed as the manager team leader for the college's support services and actually worked there managing the support service, both for visual impairment and deaf students' uh, support at the end, until 2011, so that was 24 years, in which time I took early retirement. And you've enjoyed it ever since? And I have, well, yes. I've, uh, as you know, Mark, we meet up quite, uh, quite regularly, various things, and I do tend to rub it in a bit that I don't have to get up to go to work the next morning. So, yes, I, it, it was the right time for me. I've I worked for foot basically for 40 years. I've had, a, you know, a great working life, really. Two very distinct careers, uh, but, uh, but both sort of in their own way, sort of fairly successful. Yeah. So what about you, Pat? What have you done since leaving St. Vincent's? Well, unlike um, Mike, academically, I wasn't the brightest peg in the box. Um, so I basically got put into one of the jobs visually impaired people went at that, into at that time and I went to RNC and did piano tuning. Um, I, I left school in 72, July 72 and started at RNC in September 72 and um, at Albrighton and I did piano tuning. I left in late 73 and I actually ended up coming back to Liverpool and I got a job as a showroom tuner in Rushworth, which a lot of people may know, used to be the music shop in Whitechapel in Liverpool. I worked for them for uh, about six and a half years, and then I went self-employed and um, subcontracted to them. And amongst the tuning I did, I tuned the Liverpool Philharmonic for 11 years. Um, in about 2000, I'd had a bad problem walking and I was struggling getting around and I had to stop to get an operation on my foot and I was off work for over six months so I used that as a job to change I went back to uh, college and I actually ended up um, redoing braille and um, my brother actually was the tutor at the college for the braille I did IT as well uh, increased all my IT skills and I started getting a lot involved in a lot of voluntary work. Um, there was the Kensington Regeneration project and everything going on in the area I live. So I got involved in that and started sharing some of the citizens' panels and representing on the PT um, season, all that. And um, also got involved with Bradbury Fields, which was the voluntary society I got on the consultative group and chaired that for a few years. In 2003, I started volunteering with Wavertree Citizens Advice Bureau and um, in 2005, there was an intermediate labour market training scheme which was run through Kensington Regeneration, and I started getting paid as a trainee um, 
but still based in Wavertree CAB as a generalist advisor. And um, in 2006, they claimed some money advice uh, jobs being paid for, and I actually applied for one of those, and I actually got it. And I've been employed as a money advisor with Citizens Advice um, ever since 2006. You've done loads on Gobsmack. It's just brilliant. You, you say like that piano tune is just one of those things that visually impaired people do, but you you did really well out of it. Um, yeah, it was hard work, and it, it's it, it became a struggle at the end um, because more and more people wanted you evenings and weekends, and you having to travel further and further just to do the jobs, and you know cash flow got um, difficult. So it was. Um, you know, I did it for about 25 years and I was ready for a change. With your piano tune, I know you had quite a few funny stories what sort of happened during your time as well. Do you want to share a couple of those? No. No? <laughs> <laughs> Which one are you thinking of, Mike? Well, you might have shared... You might oh, have no, we're some... after the watershed, are we now? <laughs> yeah, you're right. Well, you might have had some which I didn't know about, actually, Pat. <laughs> no, at least I did have a... At least I think I told you one the other week about the... Um, on the stage at the Philharmonic, I was with my guide dog Hannah. At the time, she was lying down beside the piano, and the next thing, the other dog came on the stage, and Hannah started, ch- you know, they went for it. And this, it was the security dog sniffer dogs because apparently Prince Charles was coming to the concert that night. What do you guys do for in your spare time? I know Mike, you're into sailing, aren't you? Yes, I, I certainly. Uh... I, I do the sailing, but that's a relatively uh, short season. But we had a, a, a few great sales this year. Uh, I also involved uh, with uh, the sort of rambling group of our local voluntary society, Bradbury Fields. Uh, I'm into temping bowling. Uh, and I've also recently, I'm now, uh, I see, uh, a trustee of Bradbury Fields, uh, the local voluntary society for the blind. And I'm also a trustee of the UK North Blind Sailing Association. And sort of the occasional days when uh, I haven't got much to do, uh, then I sort of just may go down to the gym or for a swim, that sort of thing. So I do keep myself uh, very, very active. Uh, quite personally, and just uh, basically enjoying life to the full, as Mike will probably vouch for. Yeah, definitely. And what about you, Pat? Um, well, I don't, I'm not as active as I used to be. I've had a lot of trouble now with um, spondylitis and things like that, um, so I've had to cut back. But over the years, I've done quite a bit. I've been very sporty. Well, I was involved in blind football, blind cricket. Uh, at the younger days, I played bowling, uh, outdoor bowls, um, did a lot of tandem riding. In two, 97, I, I went with the guide dogs thing to Russia and did the cycling from um, St. Petersburg to Moscow. And in 1998, I did land hunter John O'Groats on a tandem. Um, also, I've been involved in the walking group, the 10 pin bowling. Yeah. Um, so we do keep ourselves pretty busy in our spare time. Yeah. Just do you, do you ever go back to Jersey? We do, actually. Um, the last few years, um, I think mean, so we used to go back quite regularly till our mum died. Uh, and, yeah. um, but the last few years, we've still got a sister in Jersey and her family. And Mike and I go every two years. Yeah. Well, we're happy for the last year, few years. Yeah. We're actually um, going this October, aren't we? We are. We're going from the, 5th, um, from the 6th to the 10th of this October. Um, also, I mean, so it was a nice thing that was considered my sister. We actually, last year, we actually... Got in t- uh, met some of our cousins who were in their seventies for the first time, didn't we, Mike? Yeah, that's in right. London, yeah. so you know, um, it, it is good. You know, we are um, 
we still all keep in touch as a family and we do yeah. try to see each other reason yeah. within reason. But it is wonderful now. Travel compared to I remember when I sort of moved back to sort of England in the seventies, it was a major task just saving up to be able to fly back to Jersey. Fares were so expensive in yeah. those days. Whereas now like you can fly daily from Liverpool to Jersey with the easy jet and sort of, you know, get a fare for sort of twenty five, thirty pounds each way. It's absolutely you know you know, it's mind boggling really the change in sort of uh, air I, travel. So it makes I, it really I think we should get, get it cheaper now for that advert. Yeah, you should be on commission. You'd have gone home weekly if it had been now, wouldn't you? Well, thanks very much, guys. It's been absolutely brilliant. It's been great to hear your stories and and, uh, lovely to chat to you. And uh, hopefully we'll do it again soon. Okay, thanks a lot, Joe. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Why not email us at podcast at svupa.co.uk? for our new section, Around the School in 10 Lessons. Right class, it's lesson 8 of Around the School in 10 Lessons. Sit down at your desks and be quiet. Apart from our special uh, class members today of Pat Scanlon and Danielle and obviously Joe. Okay, that's <laughs> So we left off at the bottom of the DS steps last time, didn't we? So we're going to take a walk up King's Wing, um, which when we were there was where the senior classrooms were. So if we start with what we knew as K5. Yeah, that was Dave Winchester's room when I was there. And it was maths. Right, I'm trying to... We had quite a few different lessons in there. I think we had... Uh, English lessons in there. I think we had RE with Sister Francis, and I don't seem to remember it being anybody particular's classroom. Right. Okay. <laughs> Ours was a bit like that actually. It didn't really belong to anybody as such. It was um, when I first went into the seniors. It was Mrs. Ranella's um, science room because there's a couple of sinks in that room now. I don't know whether there was when you were there, but there is now by the windows. Um, and then it became the childcare room when childcare moved downstairs, and it was that for a couple of years. And then last I knew, it was a um, storeroom, and I had like the photocopier and that kind of thing in there. What about you, Pat? What do you remember that classroom? I, I can't. Re- I'm not sure where you are, but coming down from sister from the head's office. Yeah. As you first go in, there used to be like a little cloakroom area for the staff with a toilet in where to hang up. Then the first classroom, then on your right, that was Mrs. Blackburn's class. It was ju- it was the juniors in that wing when we were there. Um, so it had Mrs. Blackburn's class first, which was for the registered blind younger juniors. Then there was Mrs. Pope's was the next one along, which was the registered blind but slightly older juniors and then the third one along was Sister Madeline's which was for the partially sighted uh, older juniors. In your time the visually the, the partially sighted and the blind were separated weren't into two classrooms? 
Um, yeah, the, the ones who had to do Braille and whatever were in a different um, thing. Once, once you got to the upper seniors, then they, jo- they kind of merged. But in the junior level, they were still quite separate. Because Mrs. Burns' had class was the younger juniors, and that was the classroom next to the head's office before you went through the double doors down the corridor and before you came across to King's Wing. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So the cloakroom stayed, because that was there when we were there. That was, yeah. that was the same. Um, but then K3, which was the first classroom, was that was Mr. McFarland's or Mr. Mac's classroom, and he taught English, and he was a form teacher mm-hmm. as well. Um, I was going to say, we had... Uh, it was Paul Manning's room for a long time, that, that end one, um, and he taught RE uh, in there. I don't think it was used for anything else then until it became the history room um, for a little while. And then... Last I knew, it was Julie Elson's form room and English room. It's been that for probably about five or six years now. So it went full circle, really, from English back to English over the years. Yeah. <laughs> so that, well, the next one for us, K4, was that was Paul Manning's room, wasn't it? And that was his form room. And quite often he took the fifth years. Yes. Um, I don't think I actually had Paul Manning's. I'm, Did you not? No, I mainly had Ray no. Evans and Frank Mack. So you had right. Paul Manning, so didn't you, as a form teacher? Yeah, um, in my last year, and he also taught history. He, yeah, he did history for everyone, and he did geography for the first years as well. He did do some geography as well, didn't he? Because Mr Byron taught geography mainly, but I think Paul Manning did, mm. did the earlier stuff, didn't he? Yeah. Where did Mr Byron teach geography? wasn't in the art room, so I'm just wondering which room did he I think it was in K5. Like I say, K5 seemed to be a bit of a kind of mismatch when yeah. I was there. It was like sometimes it was used for geography and then Sister Francis would use it for RE, I think. Yes. Um, Dave Winchester did PE as well, didn't he? So if you if you scheduled geography in the afternoon, that classroom was free. Yeah, yeah. It was used as a form room, but I can't... Was he the form teacher i don't remember him very well so that must have been in my sort of later years so they've been at least quite a mixture obviously they were when you were there it was the junior section and i think it was about 75 it switched when oh, yeah. and queen's wing swapped over completely so what we'll do is um we'll we'll stay on the main part of the corridor because do you, did they have any of the the tactile like giant jigsaw pieces or anything like that on the walls when you were there, Pat? Yes, we did. I can't remember what they were, but they were They were also, uh, I think some of them were like movies. I seem to remember you could turn handles on some of them and things, or um, things, but they were certainly raised tactile uh, shapes, different colours and shapes and nothing on that wall. Was there a big map? On King's Wing, or have I got yeah. the wrong part of the There was, wasn't yeah. there? Yes. Yeah. When, when you went through... The glass double doors at like the cloakroomy end. Uh-huh. Um, it was between the first and middle classrooms. It's still on the wall. Is it right? Yeah. Gosh. Yeah, it's still there. I remember a story in first year. I'm not going to mention any names, but we was in geography with Paul Mannings, and one of the um, one of the class sort of said, "Can I go outside to look at the the, the map outside?" So he went outside looking on it. And so after a minute or two, Paul went out to see what he was looking for, to see if he could help. And he was like, we'd been doing about weather and things like that. So this person says, I've been trying to find the monsoons. 
<laughs> and you know who you are. <laughs> I've had that one down the store. <laughs> it, oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, can you remember any others, Danielle? Because you're youngest, so you probably can. Um, I'm just trying to remember. I know on, on that corridor on sort of the right-hand side, the map side, if you like, um, I think all the display boards that were on that sort of side, apart from the map, were kind of just used by whichever teachers were in those classrooms and they usually related to kind of topics that they were covering with different classes and that. And then on the left-hand side was the side that had the um, sort of wooden, the big shaped boards that yeah. had, some of them had um, like door handles and bits on that you could turn. And But then I think they used to use some of them that weren't that didn't have as much on. They used to put kind of work on on some of those as well, um, and I think they were red. If I remember right, I'm sure that some of them were red. It was a red oh, green. Yeah. <laughs> they were certainly very yeah. strong colours. I seem to remember. Yeah, I think they were all yeah. primary colours. And one thing I noticed when I went down this year, if I remember when we were there, all of them had quite a lot of stuff on, didn't they, Joe? But the, a lot of them now haven't got as much on. Hence why they've used them for notices as well in the last few years. Right. Were there some pottery on the walls as well? There were some down near the art room and the science room because they actually had tactile um, letters, and pottery, letters spelling out science room and I think it was also spelled out in Braille as well. Like big pottery dots. Oh there, yeah, because it was like, a, it was a, um, it was shaped and it was painted to look like a pizza. So the, the, le uh, the, um, so the print letters, I think they were black, and then they, they'd they put, like, dots in Braille in the middle that you could obviously feel, but then were coloured as well. And they'd painted the background of it sort of reds and oranges, so it looked a bit like a pizza. Oh, right, okay. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, was the one for the art room as well, or was it just the science room? I can't remember. I think it was just science. Yeah. Mm, don't remember seeing one for art. So we'll move down through them double doors, which we're always sort of halfway through anyway. And mm -hmm. do you part remember, because you come right to the bottom, past the corridor where you go to the music room and woodwork room, which we're going to cover in lesson nine. Um, do you remember the art room, science room, and there was also like a storage cupboard directly opposite you? I don't remember the storage, what, you mean straight right at the very end right of the corridor? Right at the very end of the corridor, yeah. I remember doors, but we don't think we have a saw what was in there or whatever. You didn't use that section? No. Um, certainly we used the science room and the art, um, art craft room. But, of course, originally the music room and the woodwork room and that corridor weren't there. Um, when I, we were first there, that was built during our time. Um, oh, right. the it, it was basically just the science room and the art room. Um, the science room... Well, as you come to the bottom of the corridor to the right. Yes. Yeah. Um, that was used. Um, Bill Shannon did a lot because I remember most a lot of us seemed to sing your eyebrows with the Bunsen burners. <laughs> and there's like a room at the back of the science room, which was like uh, I think they kept projectors and photography stuff in there. But that was also I remember that also being used for the oral French exams for the CSEs and things like that. And um, of course, the craft room, and they always seem to have a science teacher, but the craft room, uh, certainly in the juniors, it, it seemed to be your form teacher that took you for the, in the arts and 
pottery room. All oh, right, because the science room when I was there was Angela Simpson was our science teacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was ours as well. Yeah. Well, I also remember too because um, Bill Shannon uh, would you know, uh, run the scouts in the youth club, and quite often they were down there in the science, use that for the science room. It was only after um, the music room and the woodwork room being built, probably late 60s, early 70s, it would have been, um, that, um, you know, the woodwork room was tended to use more um, in the evening. Uh, it started off as part of the youth club activities, and uh, what's his name? Oh, God, what's his name? Mr. Connolly, Bill Connolly, is it? Um, Peter. Peter, I knew, sorry, oh God, I'm getting old, aren't I? Peter <laughs> Connolly, uh, that's how he first came in. I think Joe brought him in, and he, he was doing the woodwork in the um, youth club. And then, of course, the music rooms were built at the end with um, Sid, obviously, in there, and all the, the room for the peripatetic teachers to come in. I've probably jumped ahead a bit there. It's but... right. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember that when we were there? Do you remember the layout of the science room? Um, I, yes. You went in, and if I remember rightly, you, there were desks at the front, weren't there? There was. The teachers' desks. There was a there few rows. I seem to remember there was a few rows across it. Yeah, and then you had the workbenches at the back. Yeah. Two work yeah. Benches. Yeah. yeah. And then there was the room at the back, wasn't yeah. there? What were yeah. you wearing? I was saying. We had the only colour CCTV, right. <laughs> which took about <laughs> twenty minutes to warm up. And I think it was mainly where they used to store everything, you know, the, the rat, yeah, rats' heads. Storing. All the, yeah, the <laughs> And there was a bit, there was a lot of hooks where the, all the lab coats were. Yeah. I mean, I was, I mean, that was our classroom once for, for my first year in oh, the right. seniors, yeah. And it was mainly day um, pupils. But my desk was one of the the workbenches. That was about my classroom, you know, my form desk. But oh, wow. there were just three of us who were there overnight. I think it was me, Joanne Matthews, and it could have been Stephen Ridge, might not have been. And then we had to go and sit in other classrooms at night time because we couldn't really access the science room. Yeah, because it was always locked up. It was, yeah, so we could get in, grab our stuff and then go back. Mm. Um, Yeah. So what's it been like more recently, Danielle? Um, Well, it definitely hasn't been used as anyone's form room for a long time. Actually, I'm just thinking the the art room and the science room are probably the rooms that have changed the least, actually, out of all the ones we've talked about so far. Um, because last last time I saw them, anyway, the science room it was still the same ish sort of layout. When you went in, the desks were on the left, but they were in a square rather than two rows. Um, and then there was the workbenches. I always remember that room being freezing. It was one of those rooms that either the heater wasn't working, so it was really cold, or it was really, really hot in the summer. So I, as I got older and kind of further up the school, I used to demand that I used to be able to sit or stand literally right next to the radiator because it was always really cold in there. Um, it had a lick of paint. I remember that at one point, and it did get some new desks. But other than that, I don't think it's really changed that much, to be honest. Um, and the art room, again, that that was changed the least. Um, I know that got painted as well a few years ago. Um, but other than that, I think that's more or less the same. I can't ever remember anything sort of dramatically changing in there. Um, 
I think the I can't remember the the name of the art teacher that we had in in the seniors, but she was very good. But I can't think of her name. Um, but I think um, Janet Gallagher used to do quite a lot of the art as well over the past few years. Anyway, I think she does she does quite a lot of the um, the art. Um, and yeah, and as you say, Angela Simpson um, does science. Yeah, because in our day it was Ian Byron who taught art because he did art and geography. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, I always remember yeah. seeing, remember the art room always seemed quite cluttered, you know, because there were all things on all the works that, you know, the, all the, around the edges, like yeah. Artwork, that, yeah, artwork that people had done and, and things like that. Mm. And there was a kiln in there as well, wasn't there? Because you used to do pottery. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The wheel, the young wheel, yeah. We never used I them. used to like doing pottery, apart from the feel of the clay. I used to hate <laughs> the feel of wet clay. Oh, don't like that at all. Don't <laughs> <laughs> like me, you. <laughs> <laughs> Because you used to, when you got, it was the only option you could take when we came to take our O-levels and CSEs, showing me age doing O-levels, you see. And the only <laughs> option you could take was to choose between art and music. Uh, we had art and, art and English Lit, or no, it was music or English Lit, or art and French. No, we did, but we had to do English language and English literature, we did both. Mm. So. Yeah, so did we. Was that, was there a... Um, Something to do with photography. Was there something in the art room that was used for photography? That used to be directly opposite the the corridor. You went straight down, and there was a door there between the science and the art room. Right. And that was a store cupboard, stroke dark room as well. Ah, okay. Mm. Yeah. Right. I remember we did do photography, but I'm not sure what we 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 actually did the dark room actually in the art room. I think. I, I can't remember when we did it, but we certainly did a bit of photography, and I'm sure I can't remember going into a separate room to do it. Right, unless they had somewhere right. could darken off in the art room or something like that. Yeah, I think it must have been. Yeah. Or yeah, um, but I don't know. Before you finish the King's Window, what what was the upstairs used for in your time? Right. Well, that was the domestic science room. And obviously, in, before then, it was well. There was library and domestic science, and before then, it was all the um, the dormitories. Yeah, it was St John's and St Martin's dormitory in our time. Yeah, because we um, we when I walked through there on lesson seven, it we we joked. Oh, right, okay. okay. So really, other than the fact that it changed from juniors to seniors in the mid seventies, and obviously teachers have come and gone and and everything, it's probably like Danielle said, part of the school that really has changed the least. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. As I say, apart from the odd bit of paint here and there, and yeah, yeah, it's about nothing about it really. (laughs) And even the classrooms, like we said, they've gone from English to other things to English again, and you know, pretty much the same as they were then. Mm. (laughs) All right, then, so I think that's it for lesson eight. So you can put your books away and uh, move on to your next class. Right, well, we're uh, having uh, quite a few changes here at SVOPA on the podcast. So um, what's happening is with, obviously, VI Talk, which me and Joe spent a lot, a heck of a lot of time of, um, running around, doing interviews, talking to people, manning websites, Facebook, Twitter, you name it, it is actually becoming quite a lot of work for, for both of us. So um, Joe has decided it's probably time to concentrate a little bit more on that 
and less on the SVLPA. Would you say that's about right, John? Yeah, definitely. It's uh, VI Talk is becoming pretty much a full-time job, which, <laughs> which unfortunately I'm not paid for. But there you go. <laughs> but no, I just and and where I live as well makes it difficult. Being in the southwest obviously makes it a little bit tricky to go to events and things. And I decided to step down from the committee next year and let somebody else have a go who perhaps lives more local, and also to just you know let other guys get involved with the podcast and who can take part in events more fully than I can really. Well, I'm going to obviously start by just thanking you, Joe, because obviously 31 episodes of the SVLPA podcast is a lot of work between the two of us. And, and you're not going anyway. I mean, you'll still be doing some sections with us. Well, we're not going to let her go that easily, are we? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to finish doing the Around the School in 10 lessons. And I have said that I won't ever see the podcast stuck. I wouldn't want SVOPA to fail in any way, shape or form. So if it's, you know, I will pop in if it's necessary and help out and what have you. And, you know, I've thoroughly enjoyed the 31 episodes. It's been an absolute blast. So I hope everyone else enjoys it as much as I have. And plus, if you do visit the the um, that hotel near you, the Cliff Den, mm-hmm. Joe still might stick a microphone in front of you and get a school interview as well. So oh, absolutely. Don't, you know, that's why you know, the hotel's there, isn't it? And we've had a few people visit. So, you know, do look her up when you go down there for, for a weekend break or whatever. Yeah, I'm uh, still around. I'm still on the SVOPA group and page. And um, obviously, you can find me on Facebook and Twitter and everything, and Audio Boo. So, you know, if you want to give me a shout or if you're coming down to Timmouth, just give me a call and, you know, we can get in touch and what have you. So, I guess really what you want to know now is um, who's sort of joining the team. So, um, we've actually got a few people you've heard on the podcast a few times. So, um, and I'm going to go in age order because it's always difficult to pick who should go first. So, obviously, first I've got Danielle. Hi, Danielle. Hi, Michael. Hi, everyone. Hi, Danielle's going to join us as part of the team. I mean, obviously, you've heard her on plenty of sections, especially around the school in 10 lessons. And she did a great job at the Blackpool recap for us as well. So um, in what, 20 seconds, you want to tell people a little bit about yourself and we'll go into detail next month? Um, Yeah, I was at St. Vincent's from 96 to 2010. Um, absolutely love my time there. I'm at uni at the moment, just gone into my second year doing music. Um, so yeah, keeping quite busy with that, but I love being involved with SP- SVOPA things. And um, yeah, that's kind of about it, really. Yeah, and Danielle also does a lot of the social media stuff as well, the Twitter and the Facebook page, along with me. So um, keeps her busy while she's um, you know students and students don't do that much anyway do they so i'm not even getting into that with you <laughs> no i know you don't <laughs> okay so next we have lauren and you'll have heard lauren do interviews and two minute challenges and all sorts of things on the podcast but lauren's going to be doing a lot of the event coordination aren't you lauren hello everyone yes um i'm lauren i was at St. Vincent's in 1996 2002 and it was quite eventful um now I'm a guide dog owner and I do volunteer work for guide dogs. And I'm also enjoying being on the SLPA commission for the first time. And we will find out more about this eventful on future episodes. Time to put her at school. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> And the the last member uh, of the of the team, again, someone you've heard a few times and did a great job at co-hosting the reunion podcast, is Jane. So welcome aboard, Jane. 
Hi, everyone. And do you want to give us a quick 20 seconds? Ooh, I'll try my best. Yeah, I was at St. Vincent's from uh, January 79 until the end of 81. Um, and I now live down in Peterborough in Cambridgeshire. And I'm a qualified teacher. <laughs> very good, very good, very good. Well, thank you anyway, Joe. And obviously, like I said, we're not losing you. You're just taking a break. And we'll still see you on, I'll hear you on lots of different things. So, what we're going to do is we're going to move to the events, which um, we're going to get Lauren to help out with this time. So, um, we'll do that. And then we'll come back as the group and we'll wrap up. Why not come and join us at one or two or all of them? Right, well, we're going to move on to the events for this month. We've got a, a few things coming up. We've got a Manchester meet coming up and we've also got the Lauriston. So I'm going to hand over to Lauren. She's going to tell you about the Manchester meet. Hi, everyone. Um, we've got the Manchester meet coming up on the 25th of October, uh, which is a Saturday. Uh, if anyone needs meeting, we'll be at the state Oxford Road train station from 11.30am. And where are we meeting again, Lauren? Which is in Manchester. It is. It's only um, a couple of minutes walk from the station as well, isn't it? So it's a good location. Ten minutes at most. Yeah, and they've always been really good with us and they'll usually help us and bring drinks to the table and um, and just look after us really well. Yeah, come along, and we look forward to seeing you there. So I'm going to look forward to um, the Lauriston, which is running from the 14th to the 17th of November. That's down in Western Supermare. It's our weekend break, and there's quite a few going. You're coming down as well, aren't you, Lauren? I'm coming, yeah. Yeah, so that's a good reason for people not to. I'm only joking. And... Um, <laughs> And to to book that weekend, it's directly with the hotel on 01934-620-758. You do need to quote SVOPA, and the price for that is £45 per person per night for dinner, bed and breakfast. And you can, if you're an RNIB member, get your 10% discount on top of that as well. We do say make sure you do mention SVOPA and if you have any problems with the bookings, get in touch with me straight away because unfortunately there has been a couple of little mess ups um, on the bookings, but just let us know and we'll get it sorted. Um, they will release this reserve rooms within the next couple of weeks as well though, so I would say if you come in, do book quite quickly. So um, looking forward as well to 2015, flipping out Lauren, it's getting a bit Close, isn't it? This, Getting this close year. now, isn't it? It's only United Days to Christmas, apparently. Well, it is on the day we're recording this, so you can try and work out what day we're recording this. <laughs> and we're going to have a meet-up probably in Liverpool in January. No, obviously, details will be um, released soon. And we're hoping to have the singing workshop, which was originally planned for August, in roughly around the April time. And we're still waiting for details for the reunion, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, still waiting for dates. But as soon as we get them, we will let you guys know. Um, so that's probably about it for now. In fact, just a bit of a recap, because me and you went over to our last meet-up, didn't we, in um, York? 
in York. It was a lovely game, York. And I'd say the weather screens that helped us there were very helpful and we will be using that venue again. We will see. Highly recommended. Yeah, so if you are thinking, do you want to come back to York or we're going to do another um, meet-up in York, just let us know. We have decided for the time being, haven't we, to to not do a weekend in York for the uh, for yeah. the foreseeable future. But we are looking at maybe doing a weekend up in Scarborough at some point, subject to when the reunion is um, after the success of this year's Blackpool weekend. Which is fantastic as well. Yeah, so that's about it from um, the events. So we'll just um, go back and we'll get the show wrapped up. that brings us to the end of episode 31 and as I say it's been an absolute pleasure doing all these episodes and I you know I won't disappear completely but thanks to everybody who's taken part in this episode if you want to get in touch by email it's podcast at svopa.co.uk you can find us on the web at www.svopa.co.uk you can find us if you search for svopa on facebook we've got the page and we've got a group and if you search for at SVOPA on Twitter, um, you can keep up to date with various bits that are going on on there. We also have an Audioboo account, which if you search for SVOPA on Audioboo, you'll get some updates. Hopefully more now Lauren's kicking Michael. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably will do. <laughs> That's taken straight from the last Audioboo, isn't it, Joe? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> you know I listen, you see. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and if you do want to get in touch um, with me directly, it's 0161 287 1841 or 07930 So from me and the team, it's see you next month. Bye. 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 Bye.